Today, I want to invite you now to turn your Bibles to Ephesians, and I want to talk about wisdom and how that's linked with stewardship. So go to Ephesians 5, and look at, let's look at verse 15 to 18. That's going to be our passage for today, verse 15 to 18. Let me read this for us, and I'll pray, and let's get to the sermon. Ephesians 5, verse 15, it says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we have just sung that Christ, you, O Lord, would be our vision. That you would be the one we seek to know, to follow. That Christ, you would shepherd us through the preaching of your word. That you would encourage us where we need encouraging. Rebuke us where we need rebuking. Exhort us, Lord, through the preaching of your word that we would be more faithful to Christ. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we have opened your word. Please speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the theme of this retreat is about stewardship, I want to take this time to talk about walking in wisdom. And maybe some of you are thinking and wondering, why talk about wisdom? How are the two related? Well, as you and I know, wisdom is something that I think everyone agrees is valuable to have, whether you are a believer or unbeliever. People understand that it is important to obtain and to live by. And so the question is, how do we know what is wise? Where do we gain wisdom? And the reality is, according to the world, to be wise means to have much knowledge or much experience. To be wise might mean to have all kinds of rewards and accolades, maybe some letters attached to your name. To be wise might mean to be older in age. So you're getting some gray on your hair, we would say that person is wise. Or to be wise might mean to come up with the latest invention, latest theory, good political positions, or just be good people. These are the people that people look up to, uh, they want to hear from. But beloved, though these things might fall into the category of worldly wisdom, according to God's word, they are not true wisdom. What is true wisdom? Before we answer that, it is important to first establish what the very opposite of wisdom is, and that is foolishness. So let's ask the question, what does it mean to be a fool? What does God's word say about the fool? Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
And what this is saying is that the fool is the one who not only has denied the existence of God, but also denies God by his living as well. He denies God in thought and in action. In other words, he lives and moves as if God does not exist, as if God is not holy, as if there is no judgment. The commentator says this, quote, the supreme fool is the person who has anti-God thinking and anti-God living. That is a fool. Moreover, you read in the book of Proverbs, there's so much that the Proverbs speak about when it comes to the fool. But if I can summarize, the fool is the one who is wise in his own eyes. He trusts in himself. He does what is pleasing in his own sight. Lives as if there is no God. That is a fool. So according to scripture, it does not matter how many accolades one has. It does not matter how many achievements or wealth he has, possessions. It does not matter how wise he thinks he is. If he denies God, he is a fool. So the question then is, what does the Bible say about the wise? Scripture also is not silent about this. Proverbs repeats this again and again, that wisdom begins where? With the fear of the Lord. And that does not mean to be afraid of him, but it is to rightly acknowledge him for who he is and who we are before him. To recognize that left to ourselves, we have nothing and we are nothing. We are but dust. There's no hope for us left to ourselves, no salvation. This is why unlike the fool who is wise in his own eyes, true wisdom starts with this humble acknowledgement, this humility that recognizes God is God and I need God. But moreover, it does not simply end with need. Deuteronomy 10, 12, it tells us that the fear of the Lord understands that God, get this, he demands also all that I am. He demands all of me. That I must know him and love him and obey him now with my whole life. But beloved, as you and I know, apart from God, no one can be wise. In fact, that is our testimony, correct? We were all fools before Christ. We all live foolishly. We all deny the realities of who God was, not only with our lips, but also our lives. We could care less about God. But God, in his kindness, what did he do? He saved us. He opened our eyes to see the foolishness of our thinking and our ways. He helped us to see that we are sinners in need of a savior, and he pointed us to Christ. And upon repenting and placing faith in Christ, he has given us new life. The point being, it is through the gospel, foolish men can now be made wise. Because now God is in our life. In other words, while we once walked the path of fools, we now can walk in a way of the wise. 
Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. Passage I'm sure we are all familiar with. But notice what it says here about the foolish and the wise. Verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so here in the gospel, it reveals the power and wisdom of God, which destroys the wisdom of the world. I mean, church, we have not even looked at our passage yet, but you get the point. Scripture has so much to say about wisdom, which is why going now to Ephesians 5, to our passage today, this is why then as God's people, as gospel people, if there is anyone in the world that must walk in wisdom, it must be us, the church. If the world is to find wisdom in the world, they are not to look at these people with accolades and the trophies and championships. Wisdom must be put on display in the church. We're all about the gospel who destroys the wisdom of the world. Those who have received new life in Christ, those who have God's word, those who live in obedience to Christ, the church must walk in wisdom. Or in other words, how we live, how we steward our lives, it matters. It absolutely matters. They are not disconnected with your salvation. And this is then what Paul exhorts the church to do. We need to be a church who walks in wisdom, who understand well that not just some things are devoted to God, but rather the totality of my life now is about God. It belongs to him, and I must steward it with great wisdom because it matters. So it then begs the question, what does it mean for us to walk in wisdom? Well, this is where we turn to our outline for today. As we will see, Paul gives us three areas to focus on when it comes to walking in wisdom. So three areas to focus on when it comes to walking in wisdom. Let's begin with the first focus. First, Walking in wisdom means you have to focus on the time, on the time God has given you. Walking in wisdom means you have to focus on the time God has given you. Let's look at verse 15 again. Paul writes, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, 
but as wise. So last year in 2023, uh, I wore a brace around my wrist for probably almost the whole year. And people asked me, what happened? Are you okay? You don't look okay. And while the story could have been epic because the incident happened in Utah at Zion National Park, I don't know if you guys have been there, it could have been epic, but the story is very foolish because the answer was, I just fell. <laughs> and so it felt more foolish every time someone asked me, like, what happened at Zion? Like, I fell. <laughs> and it wasn't even on the trail. It was on the way to the trail when I was running to the bus. <laughs> I just fell. It was so foolish, so very anticlimactic. And I was reminded that even as a man who always tells my three children, be careful, be careful. I need to be careful too. Now looking at our passage, I love that Paul here, he pumps the brakes in a bit. Because in the context of this epistle, notice right before this. In Ephesians 5, it's all about walking. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. He exhorts the church to walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk as children of light. Walk, walk, walk. That is me. That, that means your Christian life matters. But here, he is saying, yes, keep walking. Meaning, yes, keep living out your Christian life. But as verse 15 says, be careful. Be careful how you walk. Why? What is the reason why we have to be careful? Look at verse 16. It says, because the days are evil. Meaning, church, we live in a sinful and fallen world. In fact, the word for evil there carries the idea of not just one bad thing, but all of the above. The world is wretched. It is base. It is sinful. Men are ungrateful. Uh, they, they blaspheme the name of God today in word and in action. You see, ever since Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, yes, God has established his church. He will continue to build his church until Christ returns. But make no mistake, the days we live in are evil. They are very evil. And this is why we're not surprised by the news today. We're not surprised by everything that goes down. We're not surprised by the growing hostility against God and his word. And from a theological perspective, this world right now, though God is the ultimate ruler, the world right now is dominated by the power of who? Satan. Ever since the fall, the earth is the God-ordained place where Satan now operates. And so going back to our passage in verse 15, this is why Paul is telling us, walk carefully. But how are we to be careful? Look at verse 15. Not as unwise men, but as wise and then verse 16 making the most of your time because the days are evil now what in the world does this mean what does it mean to make most of our time in a broken and fallen world i mean is paul saying here yolo you only live once live it up in this evil world is he saying enjoy your days Establish your kingdom here. Live for possessions. Live for your life here. Is that what he's saying? Of course not. Listen, God does not place us in a broken and fallen world so that we would make our home here. So that we would get nice and comfortable here. 
No, brothers and sisters, God places us here so that what? We will live our days for Him. That we would glorify Him. That we would magnify His name. This is why He has given us new life in Christ. This is why you are still here today if you're a Christian. That your life now matters for the glory of Christ. And as for time, as for time, as time is ticking away, we are to make most of our time in this fallen world. See, as you and I know, to each of us, we are all given a certain amount of time. For some shorter than others, for some longer. It doesn't matter how old you are today. So even the young ones, even if you're 12 or 13, you are not in control of your life. You don't know when that day will be. The day soon will come, whether we die or Christ returns. The question that Paul is making here is this. What are you doing for Christ? What are you doing for his kingdom? Or are you more about your kingdom in this evil world? Moreover, I love this perspective Paul, from Paul because it can be tempting to say this. Because the days are evil, man, it's discouraging. Because the days are evil, man, I don't want to go to the world. I don't want to talk about Christ. Because the days of e- are evil, I don't want to risk suffering. I want to be comfortable. If anything, we would rather say, if only things are good, only things are good, then I will use my life for God. But in Paul's perspective here, listen, it is because the days are evil, we must make most of our time. In fact, this is how he lived. We learn in the New Testament, even when evil plots were thrown at Paul, even when he was thrown in prison for the sake of the gospel, even in the most difficult circumstances and trials, Paul used them as opportunities to make most of his time, to be about the glory of Christ. In Philippians 1, 12 to 14, even when he's put in prison, what happened? Everyone in jail heard the gospel. Philippians 1, Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul had no time. He had no time to think about his own kingdom, his own dreams. Because he was busy making most of his time for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his church, for the sake of unbelievers who are dying as time passes by, who are now perishing in their sins, who without Christ are now facing the eternal judgment and wrath of God. Paul knew that because the days were evil, that living for Christ was that much more urgent. And what a perspective to have. Because at the end of the day, he saw the value of time. Value of time in this world that is ticking away. We are awaiting the kingdom to come. And church, if you and I are honest with ourselves, we often forget how valuable time is, right? If anything, as you and I know, we live in a generation who loves to waste time. We love to waste time. Whether it be on social media, dramas and movies, 
games, anything digital, we don't understand the preciousness of time. Time is the one thing we cannot redeem again. Time moves forward, and once it is lost, it is lost forever. The question is, what will we do with that time that God has given to us? Church, do you recognize that when we waste time, we don't please God? We please who? Please Satan. Adrian Rogers once said this. He said, quote, If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Church, are we not consumed with the busyness of the world? Maybe as parents, maybe in your jobs and schools, it's so busy that we forget. We forget our life is Christ. In fact, I've, I've seen this so often, but if we're honest with ourselves, many of us, we know what the will of God is. We know what we have to do, but the main excuse we give is what? We don't have time. That's why I love also what Charles Spurgeon says for excuses like this. He says this, quote, If you have not the time, God gave it to you. And you must have misspent it. That stings. It hurts. Why? Why does that hurt so much? Because we can all relate to that. We misspend the time that we use as excuses to not obey God. The point is clear. Time is a precious gift that God has given us to live for him, to obey him and serve him for his kingdom purposes. Now, do not be mistaken. This does not mean we cannot enjoy some leisure. That we cannot enjoy fun once in a while. Of course not. We should enjoy life as believers, as God has given every day to us. I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But, but, if we are wise, we will steward it wisely. Steward even our leisure wisely. We will be intentional with our recreation, intentional with our our purpose of why we hang out, why we eat together, why we do these things. We will discipline ourselves to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all to the what? The glory of God. The point being, while the time that God has given us is very short, The work that God has entrusted to us is so great. And so the question is, how are we going to use the time that we have been given? How will we steward that? Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And I trust that this will be a good discussion topic in your groups. How can we steward the time wisely? One of my favorite quotes, and I'm sure you have heard this, is C.T. Studd's quote. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. What a reminder that is. Only what's done for him will last. This leads us now to our next focus. Walking in wisdom requires not only focusing on the time God has given us, but secondly, 
We must also focus on doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. That is the second focus. Look at verse 17. He says, so then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word understand, you want to underline that, because it doesn't simply mean to gain knowledge, but it conveys the idea of bring together. So don't just hear what is said, but understand it and apply it. It's reminiscent of what Jesus said in his preaching. He who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. So don't just listen, but gain understanding. And the truth is, when one truly understands, it will not just remain in the mind. It will bring about, even as Pastor Mark said, it will bring about fruit. Fruitfulness will happen when you have understanding. But what are we to understand? We are to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, what is the will of the Lord? What is this referring to? It's referring to God's sovereign will, meaning to understand the things that are beyond me. Is that, is that what he's saying? Like, what is my future going to be like? Who am I to marry? What, what occupation should I choose? Is what Paul is referring to. Of course not. Because as you and I know, God's sovereign will is something that you and I, not, I cannot fathom because it's not for us to know. We don't know what's promised tomorrow. So what is the will of the Lord that we are to understand? This is referring to God's revealed will through the scriptures, through the word. It is here in God's word we gain understanding. We now begin to understand not only what what, what is stated in the the book, but also to understand the heart and will of God for us. That which he hates, that which he loves. That which he prohibits, that which he permits, that which is sin, and that which is glorifying to him. It is here in the book we know God's will. In fact, looking at our passage, I do believe Paul is intentionally saying here, not simply the will of God, but the will of what? The Lord. Because if Christ is your Savior, he is Lord. If he is not Lord, he is not your Savior. Lord, meaning I am now his. I am his slave, his servant. I no longer am authority over my life. Everything I have is Christ. Everything I do is determined by Christ. Christ determines all of my life. So when I think about my possessions, think about all that's been entrusted to me, it's Christ's. It's his And so the will then, the will that I seek to know is the Lord's will. What he longs for me. That's found in his word. And this is why our job as believers in this life is to not only know the will of the Lord, but to apply it. Turn your Bibles also to Matthew 7. Keep your fingers in Ephesians But go to Matthew 7, and Jesus talks about this as well. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus also talks a lot about wisdom. 
and foolishness. But notice the illustration he gives in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Whatever came, it did not fall because it it not only understood, but it applied. Verse 26, though, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. So listen, as believers, it would be absolutely foolish of us to just hear God's word, to know it, and not apply it. Even again, as we learned last night, it would be like not stewarding the truths God reveals to us. So as a church, we must be that much more committed to not only knowing God's word, but to doing, lest we be fools. You know, sadly, there are many churches today, I think biblically sound churches like ours, who know a lot, who are equipped in truth. You know theology, you know doctrine. But you you are not as committed to doing the will of God. And listen, when we do that, we look foolish. Because our lives, they reflect what we truly believe. The question is, do you look like that house that's built on the rock or on the sand? This shows we must steward that which we know, that which God has taught us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, right before that, Remember, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not he who knows the will. He who does it. So this is a matter of our salvation. If we know Christ, we will be about his will. It's not an option for us. And that's how we walk in wisdom. That's why we're so committed to know the word. So that now when you step out of the room and go into your workplaces and families and lives, you're stewarding that by obedience to the will of God. And there is joy in in obedience to God. And fruit will produce. There's one more focus that Paul turns to in our passage. (laughs) And this is our third point, third focus. Walking in wisdom requires focusing not only on the time God has given us and doing the will of God, but third, we also must focus on what controls you. Focus on what controls you. 
Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I do want to say that I do not own a Tesla, but I am fascinated by the car. I think I met uh, Nate yesterday. Nate, he works at Tesla. And my daughter was just like, my daddy wants a Tesla. (laughs) Like, why did you even say that? Um, (laughs) But uh, as... Or maybe, it, maybe it'll work. Nate, I want a Tesla. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, but as some of you know, a Tesla has this new autopilot system. I don't know if it's new anymore. Uh, but it's pretty amazing technology. But the autopilot system was not created so that the vehicle would be totally autonomous. Okay? In fact, it was simply created to assist the drivers. Am I right, Nate? I think I'm right. Okay, there you are in the back. <laughs> But regardless of what it was created to do, people have been getting so comfortable with this system that about a year ago, I don't know if you guys saw this, but a woman was uh, found and seen in the driver's seat, literally knocked out on the freeway for about 15 minutes. She's just KO, like, just autopilot. And the public had a very divided response because of it, because yes, this was seen as dangerous, but also, like, wow, this is legit. <laughs> like, this is amazing. How, this autopilot, man, it's, it's quite remarkable. Now, why do I bring this up? Because clearly for that la- lady, she got so comfortable with the system, she ended up letting the system take control of her. Right? The, the car was really... Or her life was in the hands of her car, right? And I say that because I think in some sense, that's exactly what happens when it comes to the topic of alcohol. While drinking alcohol when you are of age is not a sin, the reality is people get so comfortable with alcohol that they allow alcohol to now take control of their lives. They allow that to take control. This is why Paul doesn't simply say, do not drink wine, but he says, don't get drunk with wine. Or in other words, don't let wine take control over you. You see, when a person is intoxicated, the reality is they are not in control of all their faculties. They're not even in control of their emotions and their wills. They're unable to comprehend things intellectually. In fact, no wonder scripture is so clear on the sin of drunkenness, because drunkenness is a sin. You don't have to turn there, but Paul even says in Galatians 5.21 that he talks about those who practice drunkenness will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is an outright sin to be controlled by wine. And as you and I know, there are many people who are enslaved to wine. Going back to our passage, this is why Paul is saying this needs to stop. Do not get drunk with wine because look at verse 18, for that is what? It says dissipation, or maybe some of your translations say debauchery. And the word family of this noun carries the idea of an incurable sickness that really leads someone into a downward spiral. Upon studying this word, if I can explain this word in one phrase, it would simply be this. Dissipation is someone who is out of control. You are out of control. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, this portion of the sermon doesn't apply to me. I don't struggle with drinking. 
I don't struggle with wine. Maybe I'm underage. I don't get controlled by alcohol. But beloved, if I can ask you, is there anything else that is controlling you today? Is there anything else that might end up controlling you and leading you to a downward spiral of sin? Leading you to be out of control. That is a scary thing about sin, beloved. We are so prone to wander. Our spirit might be willing, but our flesh is weak. And when we are not careful with the things we consume, whether it be alcohol or something else, the things that fill our minds and our hearts, the reality is we can be controlled by them. It can lead us toward a path of destruction. More on that in a bit. But while then there is the negative command to not get drunk with wine, what is the positive command? Look at verse 18. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. The question that pops out is, what does this mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because in Ephesians 4.30, it tells us that the the true believers, we are sealed by the Spirit. Meaning, if you're a true believer here today, the Spirit dwells within you permanently. He brought life to our dead hearts, and He is now our helper. He sanctifies us. So the question is, why do I need to be filled with Him if He's already in me? Now, the verb here to be filled can carry or convey the idea of domination or total control. In fact, in the New Testament, we see the same word used to talk about people who are dominated by certain emotions. So, for example, in Luke 5, 26, after Jesus healed the paralytic and rebuked the Pharisees, it tells us the people were filled with fear. This controlled them. John 16, 6, when Jesus told the disciples that he would be soon leaving them, Their reaction says this, sorrow has filled your heart. It's filled your heart. There are more examples like this, but in each of these examples, we see that a certain emotion so overwhelmed their hearts, it dominated them. It controlled them at that very moment. So in the same way, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is to say that the Word of God is so richly dwelling within you that it is the Holy Spirit who dominates, who directs you, who leads you. And the Spirit of God has now taken a hold of that man, that woman. The point being, the Holy Spirit is the one who now leads us and controls us because the Word is within us. See, as you and I know, though the Holy Spirit might dwell in our hearts, we can still be controlled and filled with other things. For some of us, it might be sorrow. It might be entertainment. It might be music. It might be social media. And the fruit of that leads to all kinds of sins. And these things happen because often of what we feed our hearts. But this is why it's so important that we feed our hearts the Word of God. Because when we feed on the Word, written, inspired by the Spirit, the Spirit now leads us. He points us to Christ. He helps us to see others' needs and wants us to meet those needs, to apply truths. John MacArthur says, quote, to be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if we were standing next to Him, and to let His mind dominate our life. It's to fill ourselves with God's word 
so that his thoughts will be our thoughts, his standards, our standards, his work, our work, and his will, our will. Christ consciousness leads to Christ likeness. Close quote. So, beloved, if we're going to be controlled by something, it can't be wine. It can't be other things. It must be the Spirit of God through His Word. That's how we walk wisely as well. As those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, our job is to daily, willfully, and joyfully submit to the Word and yield to His leading. That I would now bear fruit, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. So church, I can, if I can ask you today, what is controlling you? What is controlling you today? If it's not the Spirit and the truth of His Word, what is it? Maybe it's family. Maybe being, you're being tossed and turned by family. Good things like family. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's money. You know, the reality is we, we wonder, why, why did I commit that sin? Why did this person do this or that? Well, we often commit certain sins because of the things we've been dwelling on, that we've been feeding our minds. So if it's anxiety, we dwell upon things outside our control. You keep thinking about things that are not even in your control. Maybe if it's lust, you're dwelling on lustful things. Maybe it's discontentment, we're dwelling on other people's lives. Maybe it's selfishness and greed because we're dwelling all on self. We're just thinking about self. Maybe for some of it's anger. It's anger. And your anger is out of control because you've been consumed with your discontentment, your lack. But beloved, as we see so clearly in this passage, in order to walk in wisdom, nothing else must control us. The world must not control us. Yes, we can enjoy the things in the world. But if it controls us, that is sin. The church, as we come to a close, what a sobering reminder this passage is for us, is it not? Because even as believers, we can live so foolishly. We can live as if we did not know God. We can live as if He does not exist. Even as believers... Like foolish sheep. We think we got it. But considering our points this morning, as I kept meditating upon this passage, I think the core reason of why we are so foolish is because of just that. We tend to boast and trust in self more than God, more than the chief shepherd. Like foolish sheep, we want to turn our gaze away. We sing, be thou my vision, but our vision is something else. Be thou my wisdom, but we are gaining wisdom from the world. We look to other things. We turn to our own strength. But in these moments of evaluation, we need to wise up. We need to wake up from our slumber. We need to fix our gaze on Jesus. Uh, let, let's close with this, but go to 1 Corinthians 1 again. If there's anything we must boast in, 
If there's anything we must boast in, it must be Jesus. Verse 26. Verse 26, it says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Why did he do this? Look at verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The point being, friends, who now is our wisdom? Who is the one that we cling to? We're not trusting in our own strength here. Who is the one we boast in? It is Christ. The one who's redeemed us. The one who saved us. The one who sanctifies us now by the power of his spirit. To walk in a way of wisdom is to walk in a way that boasts in him. To say that now my life is about his glory. Because he is so good to me. He saved me. That he continues to sustain me. That's our testimony. So how could we not? How could we not follow him? How could we not devote our whole lives to him? Everything about our lives must be about Christ. And as we have learned, let's do this by first focusing on the time he's given us. That we are not yet in heaven that we are not yet in a place of the kingdom of God where Christ has come. And so the time we have is short. So let us make most of it. But secondly, we must focus on doing the will of the Lord. It's not just know it, but do it, apply it, bear fruit. And thirdly, focus on what's controlling you. Focus on what's controlling you because if we are not careful, something else will. We must make sure we are dwelling upon the words of the Spirit of God will control us, and we will give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone who's not a Christian here today, do know this. As we learned today, life is but a breath. It is but a moment. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And the reality is, if you think you're in control of your life, you are foolish. You are not. You don't know that day when you will one day stand before God. And do know this, it will come. You will stand before him whether you like it or not. And the reality is, left in your sin, if you stand before God today, you are guilty in your sins. You are condemned. And this just God will punish your sin in hell for eternity. But God, while he is holy and just, he is a God full of mercy, full of grace. And he calls sinners to come and be made right with him today. And the way he has made a way for sinners is through, is through his son, Jesus Christ. And Christ lived a perfect life. He died upon a cross to bear the wrath of God that sinners deserved. 
that he might satisfy the wrath of God. He died and three days later he rose again so that if anyone turns from sin and places faith in Jesus, you can be saved. You can now know God, be reconciled to this God, and you can now use your life for the glory of God, for his purposes. So non-Christian, the wise thing for you today, for you to do today, is to repent. While there is time, repent and believe upon Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, O God, for your, your gospel. Oh, thank you that Christ is the only one we can boast in. Lord, we were foolish. But you have made us now right with you. And we can now walk in this way of wisdom that boasts in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, when we turn our gaze away from you. Help us, Lord, to remember that that the time you have given us is short. The work that you have entrusted to us is so great. So I pray for all of us today that you would help us to evaluate well that we would not simply know these things but apply them to our lives that God, you would be glorified through this church and through all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.